Ever get the blues? Ever feel a little down? All you need is Grady's Cold Brew. Grady's is an awesome company based in the Bronx, and they're huge supporters of the show. We all love Grady's Cold Brew. It's easy to make, and it tastes amazing. You can head over to Grady'sColdBrew.com and use the code LATEERA20 for 20% off site-wide. We thank you, Grady, and we honor you. Hello, folks. Welcome back. It's season two of Late Era from Osiris Media. Yo! Guess who's back? Oyo Kamova. We are dancing in our rooms right now. Mm, 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 mm. Welcome back to season two of the Late Era podcast. We are so happy to be back with you guys. Back with our listeners. I'm also excited to be back with the two of you, chopping it up. Same. Uh, yeah. It's a joy to be talking about music with two of my dearest friends once again. And as far as the podcast landscape of the last few months goes, barren are the fields, and we're back to save the day. Hello, everyone. My name's Andy Kush, and... Uh, the main thing I have going on in my life is this podcast called Late Era, but you might also know me as a writer about music, contributing editor to Pitchfork, and uh, bassist uh, in the band Garcia Peoples. My name is Winston Cook Wilson. This podcast does also right now feel like one of the main things going on in my life, but I also uh, am in a band called Office Culture and make music as Winston C.W. My name is Sam Sadomsky, and this podcast is my life. And it is my rock and my foundation, <laughs> but I also have a job as a staff writer at Pitchfork, and I make music under the name BCI. And today we're here to discuss a little album called Supernatural, one of the biggest selling albums of all time, home to several songs that everyone on earth, probably every living person on earth has heard the song Smooth, right? Yeah, definitely. 15 times platinum record won eight Grammys. It was everywhere in 1999. This makes it different than any album that we've we've covered, that level of popularity, because we're normally doing kind of overlooked ones. But it seems crazy to do a late-era podcast and not talk about an album that redefined what a late-era album could be and influenced the whole business of later albums yeah it didn't invent exactly the concept of the star-studded late career comeback album but certainly it uh it blew that concept up and it was in the cd players of every car in america in 1999 we're going to be joined by someone who is to me one of the great uh guitar players of our era one of the music industry's great, just sort of rock and tour storyteller, uh, all around cool dudes, Matt Sweeney, uh, who you may know from Superwolf and Superwolves, uh, his collaborative albums with Bonnie Prince Billy. You may know him from playing on some of uh, the Johnny Cash American recordings, another sort of iconic late era thing that, that Sweeney was involved in, uh, playing on Adele's 21. Being in Iggy Pop's band for a while, his amazing band Chavez, uh, his involvement with Guided by Voices. I mean, forgetting a big one, Zwan. Yeah, uh, Endless Boogie. I mean, what hasn't this dude done? And given his status as sort of like a guitar slinger, 
uh, and an omnivorous collaborator with artists in all genres. Uh, he seemed like a natural fit to talk about Supernatural. And of course, when I approached him about it, you know, he's already he's ch- he's chilled hard with Santana before. And he uh, shared some good stories about that, which I had no idea. Is there any other way to chill with Santana other than <laughs> chilling hard? It seems oh, like from talking to Matt, the answer is definitely no. And we'll be hearing clips from Andy's interview with Matt Sweeney throughout the episode. I just want to say really quick that there was some stuff that went down with my co-host Sam uh, at the end of the last season. And because we've seen how much the podcast industry has gone to fucking shit without us, we've patched it up and realized that our mission is shared, that we need to resuscitate this before we can kind of move into other spheres properly. Three words. Buried the hatchet. Yeah, we had some moved past it. There were some really therapeutic uh, Zoom sessions that were sort of like not for broadcast, just for us. If you've seen like some kind of monster, it was like pretty mm-hmm. similar vibe to that, I think, in terms of just hashing out our issues. And like, right. you know, we might have screamed at each other a little bit, but at the end of the day, we're brothers. And that's uh, right. And it was something that we needed. And I just want to say, at the heart of my heart, of my heart, I do love both of you. I love both of you. And just to be clear, I mean, the drug problems are still persisting, but we decided to all do drugs. So that means that we're all kind of on the same page with this. So the friendship is is based around definitely that. And so in that way, it's different than some kind of monster. But yeah, I dropped mescaline before we started recording, um, just like in honor of Santana's Woodstock performance. So I expect that to be. Kicking in uh, maybe about halfway through our taping. Uh, so we can communicate with the angels that told Santana he should record this album uh, that we're discussing today. This is a true story. Just now, I was about to hop on the call when I realized my recording device was out of batteries. So mm. I ran to the bodega across the street, and literally on the TV in there was footage from Woodstock. Wow. It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Santana. It was Jimi Hendrix, but still, I thought it was pretty... Pretty cool. One of two Woodstock performances that Santana has admitted was better than his. Right, right. Um, So, Sam, that means, obviously, that an angel is watching over us today to help us connect. As he told Santana before the recording of Supernatural, help help us connect the molecules with the light and bring you the best damn podcast season premiere you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, everything is falling into place. Every, everything else is shambles. Every other podcast doesn't have shit. Whereas we are, we have God, we have the touch of God, is ostensibly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> ostensibly. <laughs> Good lord. Before we get into things, maybe just give, uh, for the listeners who are, are invested primarily in the plotline of our lives on this podcast. Which is most of them. Which is all, hopefully all of you by this point. Just want to check in with with you guys, get maybe give some updates about where we are and things you want to share. Other than, you know, obviously we're on better terms with each other, so you can expect a much more posy energy this season. Yeah. Uh, I moved upstate. Um, I'm chilling in my little attic office right now. I spend my days drinking wine. shoveling my driveway, staring at the apple trees in my backyard, wondering when they're going to take bud, Mm. Uh, gazing out at the Catskill Mountains from the end of my driveway. Uh Uh-huh. I love this, first of all. 
I love this. I'm just a all. I'm I'm I am going mellow. I'm growing my hair out. I pierced my ear. I'm getting Uh-oh. like uh, really paranoid about privacy. Um, <laughs> I got a Roomba that I am worried is spying on my partner and I. It's uh, true. You just have to accept paranoia. Yeah, definitely. That was sort yeah. of. I wanted to become more paranoid, uh, more chill, but also more paranoid. Um, That's so cool. I'm, cool. I'm hoping to get to sort of like a Unabomber type thing in the next like five years or so. Sam? Oh, what is there to say? Um, I wrote a piece on Genesis recently that I'm proud of. That's on so Pitchfork. Yeah, great, um, great piece of writing. Thank you. Really s- stretching the boundaries of what an album review can be. Yeah, That's what I'm put here to do. So <laughs> I've been hanging out, watching RuPaul's Drag Race, just trying to make it through. Just day by day for me is how it's been. How much cash are you rolling in these days yeah. uh, from your uh, hot Robin Hood investments? Yeah. Go through this with us. This is a big, going to be a big thing this season for us because personally, I like talking about music, but I am trying to get fucking rich. Yeah. And of, Sam's of gotten in with that. Yeah. I've, I keep it to myself mostly. I was maybe going to try to introduce like a financial advice corner on the podcast. Yeah, I love if that. If you guys are into it. Um, I'm, I'm more than into it. I, love, I fucking love it. Well then, this week's advice is invest frequently and invest wisely. And uh, <laughs> that kind of... <laughs> okay, that, that's, bull, that's kind of bullshit. Don't you get a little more... You, are, you, are you licensed to provide financial advice? Like, is that... Uh, are we going to get some, like, SEC crackdown? Because that's, like that's a pretty hot tip that uh, they, they, might not, they might not like that. <laughs> well, look, it's week one. You don't that count go as in insider trading? <laughs> Listen, uh, you guys laugh all you want. I've got a pretty sizable nest egg that I'm holding on to. And uh, if this is how it's going to be with the goofs and the gags, then we can save it. But if you really want to know how you end up like someone like me, then, yeah, I'm going to walk you through it. And, yeah, it might not be that flashy to begin with, but eventually you're going to walk home with a decent-sized purse. Okay, you don't have to to yell. I have a question for you. Uh Are you into NFTs? Uh, You know, I like just learned about (laughs) them this week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and yes. Last week. <laughs> yeah. I'm all in. I bought the Kings of Leon album today on the NFT yeah. market. Fuck yeah. And as soon as I figure out how to play it, I um, think I'm really going to like it. Does that count as a later album? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Be right, cool. Let's move on. How are you, Winston? Um, I'm I'm doing quite well, really, for COVID. I, I don't know what... what when we taped the last episode, had the I the last episode was November eighth, nineteen seventy six. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, I hadn't hadn't moved then. I I also moved to a more southern part of Brooklyn, to a much more humane apartment, and I'm loving it. Is the weather warmer? The weather's warmer <laughs> now. Follow me down here. Yeah. yeah, been getting into various things, cooking more plants. Ex- more exercise you know just living my life walks in the park also trying to be chill also definitely paranoid it's the only really moral way to be in the current world landscape put out an album in december good guess which i think we talked about that was a really nice experience but now um been gearing up doing cold cold practices with office culture and we're going into record our third album next week actually 
Fuck yeah. That's the way. Is there anything you want to say about Grady's Cold Brew before we move on? Yes, I, we normally start off with this, but I'd like to go ahead and say that uh, I am eagerly awaiting the first shipment of the coming spring here of Grady's Cold Brew. Um, it's been we've had I've taken a little break from it, and I I just miss it so much. As you know, Grady's is has been a supporter of our podcasting um, and a big creative drive behind it since the first days of our other famous podcast welcome to chicago about the band with horn chicago and now grady's is an official sponsor of this podcast late era um they have been making all sorts of great products for the cold months but obviously their specialty is a variety of flavors of delicious new orleans style cold brew uh, smooth what grady himself calls a session cold brew uh, we love it you can brew it at home in uh uh, the these brew packs that are are great, love them. That's what I've that's what we've primarily been using recently. But they're also available in jugs, which I frequently bought in bodegas around New York. Uh, and then uh, bigger boxes uh, that you can kind of put in the fridge, like sort of like a box of wine, and those are also great. Uh, lots of stuff at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And if you check it out and you find something that you like, you can order anything on that site uh, and get 20% off if you use the code LATEERA20 on that site. Again, that's Grady'sColdBrew.com. Support a great local New York business that we really truly believe in and have been riding for for three years, something like that. Well, since 1976, at least. Love you, Grady. Love you, Josh. Shout out to Josh. Greatest cream of the crop, all around, best in the biz. And now we're gonna get into the album, but by way of transition, uh, I was thinking about retiring this this season because I don't like to retread. But there's been an overwhelming desire for me to keep this up, so I'm gonna try to make this brief. Uh, But as you know, I am a very good impressionist, and I want to do this impression to kind of catapult us into learning about the history of Santana and how we get to this, you know, a crucial part of the, uh, the supernatural story is, is embedded in this impression. So you guys ready? Yeah. Go for it. Try try a little harder with the guessing this season. Okay. Well, it's not on us whether we can guess it or not. That is on the person delivering the impression. we've, 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 We've talked about this. We're I'm just saying, I've never been to we're, a comedy show where the person's like, now make sure you really listen we're to the not, joke. We're not going to do this this it's season. It's not a big deal, I'm just saying. It wastes time. All right, go ahead, okay. go ahead and deliver it. <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm, you know, I'm originally a simple Brooklyn boy, and I made myself Robert De Niro. into... In, no, no. Obviously, Brooklyn. I'm, I'm a, I'm. I was raised in Brooklyn, and I made myself one a mogul. Raised myself up just by keeping my ear to the ground. Definitely Jay Z. Keeping my ear to the ground and finding acts that were bringing something very new to the table as a new, uh, as new styles of music popped up, and I've had my finger uh, in every pot. Richie Finestra from HBO's Vinyl. Close. (laughs) Um, and when I, I, you know, I've been, uh, a CEO and a leader at lots of labels, but 
Santana will always hold a very special place in my heart. It's like the back, guy who he's got like an NYU school named after him. Uh huh. You're like yeah, uh, yeah. Like Tish. It's not no, Bob. No, Tish. no. It's not Jimmy Iovine. No. Uh, I discovered Santana, and I knew that this was the the this Latin sound and needed to be more. Of a part, I'm an old guy. I'm almost 90 years old. You know, is it Clive Davis? In, it's Clive Davis. That's right, folks. That's right. Very good. That was better than last. Usually, you don't really seem to know what the fuck is going on. So that's good. I have um, to hear Clive Davis's voice, but like you just pretty much sounded like yeah. yourself. Me. <laughs> well, I, yeah, let I'm, me give it a shot. <laughs> when I first heard Whitney Houston, I said, "Wow!" And I knew. What? I could make her a success. <laughs> Clive Davis. That's uh, a Southern yes, Bell. Thank you. So- Why is a fucking Southern Bell? I don't know, but Andy got it pretty much instantly. And so. <laughs> All right. Do you, do you want to? Andy's going to guide us through the history of Santana. Maybe he can he can explain a little bit more how Clive Davis factors in here. Let's well, may, maybe by the time we get to Clive, you can uh, take over. Once I feel like uh, your Cl- your Clive knowledge is uh, is deeper than mine. I definitely Clived up a bit before the. Yeah, as one does. But, um, you know, I'll I'll insert a few thoughts. Who is Santana? Yeah. Carlos Santana. Well, first off, the crucial distinction between Santana the band and Carlos Santana the individual. Uh, Carlos Santana is a guy who was born in Mexico in 1947. He came to be sort of one of the iconic uh, guitarists of the West Coast late 60s uh, psychedelic rock movement uh, after moving to San Francisco as a teenager uh, becoming a busker kind of has a series of of wild big breaks Uh, he's working really hard kind of as a street musician and just playing bars and stuff Uh, but uh, Bill Graham who was kind of like the architect of the San Francisco scene in a way um, you know big concert promoter, manager, etc. Kind of asks him to fill in uh, for Mike Bloomfield uh, at a show when Mike Bloomfield is too fucked up to play. Uh, Santana is becomes a breakout hit in San Francisco based on that concert. Uh, eventually, Bill Graham books him to play Woodstock in a similar situation. Uh, he's gotten a recording contract by this point, but his first record's uh, not even out yet, so pretty much no one at Woodstock uh, even knows who he is. Um, he arrives uh, in upstate New York for the concert. He is almost immediately dosed with mescaline by Jerry Garcia. Or not dosed exactly, because he says he took it willingly. Um, expecting that his set is going to be late at night. Uh, a couple hours later, as he's like really peaking on his trip, uh, someone kind of comes to get him and is like, Yo, Santana, you have to go on right now. Uh, So he goes on stage, according to him, at like the absolute peak of his mescaline trip, um, holding on to his guitar for dear life, uh, and gives one of uh, what, by all accounts, is like the best sets in this entire festival, and uh, it sort of catapults him to superstardom. Uh, He gets into the concert film, the concert album, and you know, so before he's even got an album out, he's this superstar guitarist. Uh, then he puts out a self-titled album, his second album, Abraxas. These are both huge hits. Uh, they make him even more famous. And then after that, things just start to get a little uh, stranger. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's pretty interested in jazz. Uh, 
He hooks up with John McLaughlin, the great uh, fusion guitarist with Miles Davis and Mahavishnu Orchestra, who kind of steers him both towards uh, a little music that's a little further to the left of the mainstream and also into this kind of meditative spirituality thing that maybe turns into a bit cult-like for Santana a little later in his life. Um, you know, and, and there's tension in his band. Uh, he's kind of making these weird albums. He makes one called Lotus that's like a pretty tight, sprawling live fusion album that CBS refuses to release because it's sort of like too... It's not pop enough, it's too long, etc. Uh, he, he ends up making an album with John McLaughlin. He makes an awesome album with Alice Coltrane of like pretty far out jazz. And so he's kind of exploring this like pretty deep spiritual fusion free jazz thing in, in the kind of early to mid 70s. And then eventually sort of decides to return to uh, pop, uh, but never really wholeheartedly. Um, and so through the 80s, he's, it's kind of like this mixed bag where he's kind of making these records that are sort of aimed at pop, but he's also doing a lot of sitting in with like people like Wayne Shorter. Uh, I think he made a record with Mickey Hart of The Grateful Dead. He can't really find his groove, it seems like, in the 80s. Uh, I really love this clip from the Matt Sweeney interview uh, where he walks us through an extremely fucked up Santana 80s hit so here's Matt Sweeney talking about Santana's uh, 80s work me and people in the Max Fish Endless Boogie circle were obsessed with the song I'm Winning okay which, I don't know it off the top of my head dude alright just like you, you gotta you gotta just watch the video for I'm Winning okay I, I can't get enough of that song. It's so... Talk about fucking street rock. Check that shit out, because it's like... I'm really worried about that singer. That's all I can say. Like, like, it, like you're just like, oh, dude, are you really now? Are so you this, this is 80, <laughs> 80s Santana, it sounds like? Yes, from sir. Like what? Yes, okay. yeah, yes, sir. Um, wow. And it's got a fucking cadence to it. It's got such a flow. It's really good. And, cool. and, uh, and somehow Harry from Endless Boogie... <laughs> That's really like he showed up sometime in the late '90s and early 2000s, and he's like, "Man, you know that Santana song? I'm winning. That's a fucked up vibe. It's really good." You know? <laughs> like, and, and he put it on, and we we're like, "Wow, it's a really weird mix of like it's a song that makes you feel really good, but also you're like, I'm not sure if this is winning." the early 90s it feels like his entire career has kind of wound down uh he makes an album in 1992 that seems like it's going to be his last one there's like you know between that essentially and supernatural he's not very really doing very much he's his recording contract ends and uh the future of his career is sort of uh up in the air this is where Clive comes in, and this is sort of um, well. First of all, let me let me rewind really quick and say, as I did in my hilarious and accurate impression, that Clive Davis did sort of is responsible for Santana's signing to Columbia for his first record. Um, Santana having these hits on it, he actually suggested that Santana record "Evil Ways," and I believe which was like a number four hit or something like that. And one of the other tracks on that record. And, uh, 
kind of helped Santana find a way to put tracks on his records that would appeal to the mainstream and all of his records sort of prior to then the Alice Coltrane, John McLaughlin stuff um, were operating, sort of had an MO of like, we're going to try to have some hits here and they yeah. did. And so when, when he was down on his luck and kind of, he was on Polygram, I believe. Was that the label? Yeah, he was on Polygram. And he was getting the sense that they were going to drop him pretty soon. Right. things were just, like Andy said, winding down. And his and his wife, Deborah, encouraged Santana to reconnect with Clive Davis, who, you know, they regarded as, as somebody who could really help him get back on his feet. And as I said before, Santana... Um, at this time, and and probably maybe still, who knows, was r- frequently talking to an angel, the name of which I can't remember. Maybe we can find that if someone has the Rolling Stone thing open. He was talking to an angel that told him that there would be a savior for him that would help him, quote, connect the molecules to the light. And so he he went to Clive Davis and said, I need your help. I need your help connecting the molecules to the light. I want to be relevant again. I don't want to be a relic of the 60s. Sounds like the angel's name was Clive. Right. Code for Clive, but it was something like Metatron or something like that. He And it's a funny, well, not funny, but an interesting thing about uh, about Santana is he sort of describes, like, he's got this kind of series of patrons in his career that he describes. Like, he described Bill Graham, uh, sort of like his first manager and the guy who got him on stage as Woodstock as, like, his first archangel or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He sort of talks about Clive Davis in those terms. He had this spiritual guru that McLaughlin hooked him up with, Sri Chinmoy, who he sort of followed as if he was like this godlike figure until the guy started telling him that like him and his wife aren't allowed to have kids because they're not living purely enough or something like that and eventually right. kind of got of out but he mm. seems to like uh like to be under the sort of tutelage or patronage of these figures that he like regards as angelic in his life mm. right Right. So he went to Angel Clive and I was gonna uh, say the Archangel Rob Thomas at Box Twenty. <laughs> well, let's let's get let's get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So so Clive was like, you know, you know, you're you're my bud, Carlos, but I'm not just gonna let you I'm not just gonna hop into this with you. I wanna help you, but I, I let me come see you live. Let me come see what you're doing. And Clive was captivated by that show and he was like, This guy still has it. What we should do is make a record that is half this kind of Oyakomova, like classic Santana sound, and half collaborations that wouldn't, comp- he was careful to say, wouldn't compromise his artistry, but would put him uh, in touch with collaborating with some of the hippest musicians of the time of 1999. And that, and, and so Clive Davis really is responsible for the supernatural concept and hooked him up with the people who came to the studio with him for this record. Should we sort of say who some of those people are? Yeah, yeah, go for it. We got, obviously, Rob Thomas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got Dave Matthews and Carter Buford. Mm-hmm. Kind of a package It's nice that deal. they credited the drummer. Yes. Yeah. Actually, they didn't on the back cover. I think it's just, like, in the record, in the liner notes. I saw someone pointing that out. Which, know. like, I have to say, the drumming on that song is, like, pretty fucking stiff. <laughs> like, it's not... I was, not, I was not inspired by Carter Buford's performance on that Carter song. Carter normally goes off. Yeah. You know, he's pretty rough. in the pocket, but it just feels like... I don't know. It doesn't have a lot of vibe. 
Clyde uh, Davis, Davis was like, cut that guy's name off the record. <laughs> He's like, take five of those symbols off that kit. <laughs> uh, we got Everlast in the mix. Yeah, well, yep. we're talking biggest names. We're talking Everlast. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, we got Lauren Hill. We got Wyclef, sort of. I think he wrote the song and does some ad libs on Maria Maria. <laughs> and he uh, put his like shitty protégés on the song that was yeah a hit. which is which is pretty cool good for him um, and they didn't you know they got their money and they kind of stopped doing stuff after that yeah the sort cool. of like a memphis bleak to clive davis's jay-z <laughs> exactly <laughs> or uh, um, why clef john's jay-z rather right uh, and we've got my personal archangel uh eric clapton is on uh here. yes sir lots and there are lots of great stories behind these songs uh and Lots to say about, you know, se- several of them are ubiquitous in most of our lives, as we've said, and it's it's good to kind of analyze where we are with these and sort of taste-wise because I, you know, brought up kind of with them as background music. And then, you know, there's also the instrumental half of the album, which in a way is background music in its own way. So uh, it's kind of like getting into something that we don't really normally think about. Music that we don't normally think about is how I would. Which is sort of what we're all about here. Yeah, That's here right. and on Welcome to Chicago. It's sort of our it's our quest. So where should we begin? Let's start with one of this, maybe the first song, one of the pure Santana songs, because I feel like that's like the stuff that really doesn't get thought about on this album. Yeah, let's yeah. let's get into the part of this album that's forgotten, which are the Santana originals. I'll Trying say, to I was... get back to basics. I was like pretty shocked that track one on the record is not smooth. I like had memory hold that the album starts with smooth. It's kind of like what I would associate with Santana's the sound, except like more sterile production. Just really like, of course. Which I sort of like. There's like this kind of synth sound that comes in on this track every so often that feels like very out of place to me, but I kind of love it. Like it, I don't know, it, it has this, uh, it really heightens like the 90s weirdness in a good way to me. Yeah, it's hard to know what to say about this music. It's kind of happening to me. Like, I'm not mad at this music. It's a good adjective for it. <laughs> it, is, it is occurring, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the sound you like, Andy. Yeah. 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 I like the it uncanny, is, it is I like uncanny aspect. Yeah. yeah. What's it doing on a song made in 1999? Yeah, probably a dated sound already in 1999. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I'm guessing that that is what a lot of santana's 90s work sounded like that he was trying to move away from which is kind of just like the santana sound but with the production values of like what adult contemporary radio was like in the 90s yeah i mean and can i say that there is like a whole i mean i don't know we can kind of talk about this in relationship to a general rise in sort of an interest in Latin music. But to me, the instrumental tracks on this make me think of something that was reaching 
commercial vibe heights of commercial viability at this time uh after kind of building up to the 90s which is world music as sort of music as like music to shop by mm-hmm. um through the putamayo company i don't know if anyone who's growing up in the 90s remembers probably going to the counter at starbucks or a coffee shop or even like a clothing store and seeing these particular cds with these kind of paintings that were like african groove or cuban vacation or something like that we sold them at the toy store where toy store where i worked in high school exactly and what was notable about them is that they were the company was started by a guy who was actually just a retailer who had like a clothing store in new york in the set and started that store in the 70s and in the 90s got into marketing these things that um became really really popular in the 90s sold millions and millions of copies and most of them were just people who were in random stores and they were right by the register and they grabbed them and i think that along with celtic music and stuff that crossed over into new age there was this whole world music thing happening in the 90s and it was cresting right at the same time a supernatural came out along with kind of those more poppy latin pop thing that is reflected by the music on supernatural which we can talk about later but the instrumental tracks on this i think totally slot in with that i also think they slot in with like the buena vista social club thing being very popular selling millions of copies uh in the same year the movie came the movie came out i think that there was just in the air a propensity for lots of people just to have this music in in their consciousness one way or the other of all demographics you know whether it was in a store that you liked you would hear it or parents who really were just loving this in the minivan you know which as far as things to be in the air like kind of like latin jazz fusion even if it's kind of like inoffensive like sort of background version of it like it's not such a bad thing to have in the air no it's funny to think of the journey that begins with someone dosing you with mescaline and you going (laughs) on stage at the peak of your trip yeah, all yeah. the way to being like, yeah, if there's going to be something in the minivan, like, it's not <laughs> might as well be Santa. Yeah. I mean, I was struck because I got real, when I was researching this, I got really into listening to those early '70s albums that were really influenced by Miles Davis electric stuff. I mean, some of that sounds like fucking on the corner. I mean, it's hard, gnarly stuff. The sounds yeah, are totally. really dirty, and like so that that dirt and grit compared to the sounds on here is quite striking. But yeah. My, my favorite uh, sort of like symbolism of that trajectory, which we talked a little bit about before we taped this, is that like, you know, in the early 70s, he does this uh, record with Alice Coltrane. And then, you know, uh, if you said this person made an album with Alice Coltrane and then later in his career, he did an album with a member of the Cherry family, uh, you would probably <laughs> yes. guess that the answer was Don Cherry. But in fact... Uh, Supernatural features Eagle Eye Cherry, Don's son, who known for Save Tonight, <laughs> known the single for Save, Save Tonight. Tonight, yeah, who is a fascinating case in himself as the son of this avant-garde sort of uh, international jazz legend, and then made kind of like insane '90s party rock. But that's who Santana ended up collaborating <laughs> with on Supernatural, which I just love as a symbol of his trajectory. Yeah. It's worth saying that this is a very front-loaded album, even though they start off with that instrumental, because Eagle Eye 
and the majority of the other uh, Spanish language songs are all in the second half of the album, along with yeah the Clapton song, which is essentially an instrumental jam that was like put together in the studio from them like fucking around, basically. Truly awful that one. Yeah, that's a bad one. Um, we could let's check that out, and then we'll get into some of the more canonical stuff. I'm just going to fast forward through this solo at the beginning. This is just, you know, I'm going to put it straight out. Just jack off guitar music. Yeah, <laughs> both, of them just, both of them just like going at it. This truly sounds like, like the back room at a guitar center. Like when there's like two dads in there. Right. Doing dads. And it was funny because Clapton always manages to be an asshole with what, whatever he did. I, like, he he didn't want to do... He, like, blew off Santana about recording with him and then saw him performing, I think, with, like, Lauren Hill or something. And he was like, oh, shit, maybe I actually will call, we'll call Carlos up and do this. An asshole. Yeah. I read that he was actually, like, the inspiration for it because, like, I guess Carlos Santana was driving around with his kids and his kids were, like... I guess like Eric Clapton was on the radio with something from Pilgrim that had like Babyface producing. <laughs> kids were like, "Why aren't you on the radio? Like you're from the same era or whatever." Damn. And Carlos Santana was like, "Okay, if Eric Clapton can do it, I can do it." I guess. Can Can we say that? Can we say that we're going to be talking about Pilgrim uh, later yeah. in the season? Yes, yeah. we can. You can expect a full exegesis on Clapton in the '90s. This is a teaser for something to come. To study up, start checking out the records from your local library, and then by the time we get there, you'll be ready. Wow. Uh, Matt also made a very conspicuous reference to checking out records from your local library in uh, in our conversation. So there you go. Definitely get them from the library. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's check out a little bit of that interview right now. Andy, this is why I think I'm on the show, maybe, Uh is... uh, I had a, I had an experience with Carlos Santana. Yes. Um, that was something I could have never, ever, ever fucking expected to have. And uh, it goes like this: I, I did a show, I, I did an interrupt show called Guitar Moves, where I talked yep. to guitar players. Great show. And, uh, thank you. Um, and um, I get hit out of the blue from Masterclass. And, of course, they want me to teach everybody how to be a master guitar player. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. They call me because... <laughs> they, uh, they, they they call me because they're like, hey, we have Carlos Santana, and, you know, we like your show, and we also understand that... We're, like, we also understand that maybe... Like, we're not sure how it's going to go. <laughs> that, that was their... That was, they, they were like, you know, he's Carlos Santana... Yeah, and he said yes to it, and, and and he's totally in agreement. But but you know, it's Carlos Santana. Whatever it was, they kind of said we're 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 reaching out to you because you're a musician, and uh, you know, we 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 just want to make sure this goes well. I was like, okay, fucking a. I mean, I was like, this sounds wild, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had the best time working for them. I would do it again in a fucking heartbeat. It was really cool. The people are really really smart. They really care, and they really make the thing pretty unique, and they cater it. What what I gathered immediately is that is that every masterclass is kind of different. They really let the person who's doing the thing call the shots. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 I think the person agrees. Like, I'll give you two days of my time, 
and they go, okay, we're going to ask you these questions. And then other than that, you know, like they're, they're, they're pretty free to go and say whatever they want and however they want to say it, et cetera. So, uh, that's kind of the, so, so that's the preparation that I have along with, I, I had this amazing LSD and, yeah. and, uh, and I thought that maybe that could be used, um, and in some way. And so, are you, you're there, are there like flying you out somewhere to do this? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we're, so I get, oh yeah. So I get flown out and to, to where go to have, uh, to Carlos Santana. I, I, I'm, I'm being careful about NDAs. Oh, I sure. really have no idea. Okay. Uh, uh, so, but, but I, I get flown out to Carlos Santana's home city Okay. And they're shooting it at his his rehearsal space, which is like kind of where his office is. It's, it's a great, it's a beautiful, you know, compound kind of thing. You know, there's a it's a full shoot, and they've redone the place to to cater to the shoot. And I'm going to be talking to uh, to Carlos like in the room, and you know, I meet him, and he's fucking great. He's really sweet, um, and cool, and thoughtful, and in the moment, and clearly likes to hang and likes to talk. I just, you, you kind of get that, that impression. Uh, I, I think once he's on, he's, he's very happy being on once he's in a position that, that he'd yeah. be on. Um, and uh, what happened next was basically two days blew by and he fucking blew my mind because like it, he, we talked about nothing technical, like nothing. Yeah. I, I nothing. I don't even think he said my, maybe he said minor chord ones or something like that. You know, yeah, like yeah, like yeah. like uh it was his whole thing was like this it's like it was like a philosophy, musical philosophy class, you know. And and I was so unprepared for how uh what a charismatic speaker. I mean, I, I I can't say I was unprepared. I came in thinking, okay, Carlos Santana has managed to do this thing, which is that he stands for music, like like he, he or not stands with an S, but he represents yeah, he yeah, represents yeah. music, yeah, uh, and he represents to most people. He doesn't have to play music for most people. He just represents an idea of music, yeah. you know, uh, which is something that I like. I struggle with in light in, in my relationship with musical because there's a lot of these people. There's a lot of people who. It doesn't really matter what kind of music they make. People are just going to say, "Oh, they like you know, like it's good because it's 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 Beck. Beck's really innovative. It's good. It's like, dude, this is terrible, yeah. you know." But 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 the, but people don't care because they've decided that this is music. And Santana fully sits in that zone. Totally. Whereas, like, I'm going to play you really good, you know. It's, and Sting, you know, is in this. And the illusion of quality is a, is, is a term that Jesper from Endless Boogie came up with, and it's very true, the illusion of quality, and a lot of the police, staying the police, they, they, they truck in it. And I was really curious about Santana, because I was like, okay, let's just see where, you know, like, what this is. Yeah. You know, like, how does he, how does he, how did he do it? <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, how did this guy get in this position, you know, uh, to, to make everybody believe that he's, the greatest guitar player in the world. Yeah. You know, like, like, <laughs> how did he do that? Yeah. You know, like, cause like nobody's the greatest guitar player in the of world. Of course. You know? Like, so, yeah. so, so like, uh, and I kind of got my, I, the, the answer, I, I don't know if I had, I, I can't really give the answer other than I was sold. Like in one really? minute, wow. I was like, Oh fuck it. I was just like, this dude's the fucking best. Music's amazing. You know? <laughs> and like, I'm like, I'm one of these people who like, my relationship with music is that, like, if it's bad, if I'm in a situation where I'm stuck having to watch a bad performance or I'm stuck with a bad record or whatever it is, I, like, 
immediately go into this uh, mode of I get catastrophic. Like, I don't think that music could possibly be good. Right, right, right. Subjected to bad music. It's like, it's this thing that it it really, like, it really happens where I'm like, you know, is, was music ever good? Yeah. Is is it possible to make good music? Like, like, to any of this, you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, yeah. So, so, like, you know, I'm sensitive to that. And, the raps that Carlos were laying down, it was just the, I had the opposite feeling, you know, which is like, That's and it wasn't amazing. even, I wasn't even listening to music. Yeah. And so all I could say, like, I don't know how much it costs to rent one of those master's classes. I think they're kind of on the pricey side. Uh, but if you're like feeling bummed out about music and, or really any kind of creative pursuit, yeah, I would fucking recommend this Carlos Santana masterclass. It was really incredible. He's a, crazy devotee of Coltrane, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so much talking about Coltrane, but it's all about, like, what does music mean? What's your approach to music? What are you going to give to music? You know, what are you going to give to it? You know, like, like, and, like, again, I was, I didn't have to do the acid. My plan was that I was going to take the acid, you know, yeah, yeah. and and just sort of sort of enjoy myself and, and because, because I, thought, I thought it might be a little, I just what, didn't know if, the, yeah, if I was going to need any kind of, you know, but my God, I just, the last thing I needed was that. Also, Car- Carlos is like an incredible storyteller, and I, which I picked up on from, from his book, but like, you know, he loves his acid stories. So like, there's a famous story, I've, I've seen, I mean, I'm not surprised, anybody his age who's done what he's done is, has license to tell the same fucking story over and over again, and it's fine. Um, and, but his Woodstock story is really good. Like, you know, which is like they they broke during Woodstock because they had this great performance. Yeah, yeah. And he was 16 years old and he was really, 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 really high on acid. And his whole thing was like, he's like, dude, watch it. Watch my performance. You could see that I am having, I'm really like freaking out. And, and he goes, and my guitar's intonation was wrong. And I thought it was a snake. And I'm like, all I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm holding onto the guitar for dear life. Yeah. You know, like that's all I'm doing. You know, like, so, and I, I know he's told this story before, but so like, it's like all the stories were like that good. You know, you're just like, holy shit, this, this dude is so sick. But his, his real belief that like, you know, he was just saying things like, you know, Coltrane should be played in all public places. Like, like all airports should just be playing Coltrane. He's like, this yeah. is good for you. It's good for you to hear this music. It's really good. You know, and like, like who's going to argue with that? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. And 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 he's this total. It was really funny. Everything went great, and then I think I kind of I was in such a good mood at the end, uh, and, I, and the manager was really being nice to me. But I think I blew it with the manager because at the very end I was like, "Dude, he's like a street shaman," and I said it that way, just saying like he's a street shaman. And the guy was, "He's a shaman, man, shaman. What the fuck is a shaman? He's a shaman, dude. It's shaman." And I and the guy thought it was like the biggest idiot. And I was like. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wow. Shaman. Oh, but but he really is. He is the ultimate street shaman. You know, like he totally like 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 his thing is like he can sell spirituality and music in a real way. Yeah. He's selling it. He's trying to get you fucking psyched and he's getting you psyched. More from Matt about hanging out with Santana later in the episode. But for now, we want to get into the prodigious run of uh, hit singles, top 40 hit singles with this record. Where do we want to start? Why don't we start with Maria Maria? Maria. 
so far so good. Kind of in overlaps with like, you know, the Jay Jay Z's rap like big pimpin' style. You know, the certain kind of rap production. Ola, Ola Ovito. Yeah. first time I had heard a song that incorporated the artist's name into the yeah. song. Oh, played by Carlos Santana. Oh, yeah, that's coming up here. I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Postmodern. Yeah. <laughs> played by Carlos Santana. You should do that in, yeah, do that in an office culture song. Oh, don't worry. Played by <laughs> Ian Wayne. <laughs> Played by Charlie Um Yeah, I, I just have to interject and say that is just an all-time iconic guitar line. I don't know if Santana even wrote it, but the, qual- uh, the quality of it is absolutely horrible. I mean, I hate this song. Sorry. What do you think is so cool about that guitar line, Andy? Uh, I don't know that it's sort of. Uh, I mean, it's just like three or four notes, but arranged in such a way that drill themselves into your brain instantly. I like the sort of spicy minor key quality of it. Um, I think it's just a great example of making a, uh, a, a big hook out of like not very much. Good I mean, I, I hate that song. I really, I really hate that song. Those guys are, 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 I like that tal- song. Talentless. I would say it's like if I was going to pick a song off of this album, it would almost definitely be Maria Maria. Well, yeah, I don't that's know. That's your one. We're not, we haven't even talked about Wild Thoughts yet, which is probably a better song than Maria Maria, but wouldn't have yeah, existed Wild, without I'd it. I'd take Wild Thoughts way over. It's not My problem isn't the guitar line. On the, I agree that the guitar line is, is an achievement, but I, I just really hate the rest of the, the rest of it. An interesting uh, afterlife of Maria Maria is that the people on it, the product GMB, they like after the success of the song, they got signed and they were going to put out an album and they had Carlos Santana play on one of the tracks. But both singles did so bad that the album just straight up never came out. So I I guess history favored Winston's take. And we alluded to this before, but just... So listeners understand, these are guys who basically were, yeah, just random dudes who I guess were buds with Wyclef Jean, who he sort of just shoehorned into this hit single. I wonder if they're rich. I guess they probably don't have a writing credit on it, but I wonder if this song made them rich. I'm sure they're pretty well. I'm sure they're doing fine. Yeah. You can't be on Supernatural and not be doing fine, you know? Yeah, I hope that everyone got a piece of the pie when this album became as successful as it did. That'd be scandalous if they didn't. Yeah. Sam, what's your favorite? Um, I don't think I have a favorite, per se. <laughs> Which would you like to speak, uh, talk of? Uh, we could talk about Love of My Life, the Dave Matthews collab. Yes, this is uh, fascinating. And was this... Uh, is this a single? Yes, it was. The I first don't know how it few, started. The first few seconds of this one I really love. Probably my yeah, favorite. Some good sounds. My favorite interpolation of Carlos Santana's name throughout the whole record. All right. Sort of like Carlos Santana. Right? Carlos Santana. Yeah. 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 Let's run that back. Carlos Santana. 
Girls in town now. Get out, get out. Yeah. For, I, I imagine for most, uh, Dave Matthews' voice is sort of like the opposite of a- a- ASMR or something. For me, it is ASMR. My ASMR. If you told me that now, this, this is drum- a better guitar line. Yeah, this is good. This is a pretty sweet song, too. If you told me that this was drums that were programmed in GarageBand, I would absolutely believe you. I don't understand what Carfer- Carter was doing uh, in the studio. The synth on this is a sound I'm really into. It's all over Pilgrim by Eric Clapton. Okay, so you don't have to talk about it. We'll, let's save the Clapton talk. <laughs> yeah, this song's tight. This could be a John Martin song in some respect. For you know, like sure. a late John yes. Martin song. DMV played it a little bit around this time. Like in yeah. their own set. I'll go on the record and say that I sort of have a fondness for the Dave Matthews band and his songwriting. Um, I don't love this one, uh, but I do love the story of it, which it, it is the. I think it's it's the only one on here that was like a real one on one co-write with Dave and Santana and what happened is Santana was grieving the death of his father that's another grief I guess we could tie that to Clapton um no anyway he was he was grieving the death of his father and he he was um listening to Brahms's third symphony and playing around with the theme for that And uh, he brought that into the studio, and Dave built a song off of it. And according to a Rolling Stone profile Dave Matthews is quoted in, Carlos and him were writing the song together, but Dave said, I was, quote, writing it about my lover. Mm. And, I th- and I think Carlos was writing it about his dad, which is I thought, I thought was interesting that they were coming at it from very that's different cool, perspectives. That's a cool alchemy. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of all over this record. We'll get to it later, but there's another key song that has like a weird dichotomy of like the solemnity of Carlos Santana and just like this kind of horny dude writing about who's just thinking about uh, having sex. Let's get into that right well, now. Let's just do that right Should now. Should we do it? Yeah. The yeah, elephant man. in the room. Yes. Oh yeah. I'm transported to ten years old, bowling alley, some kid's birthday party probably feeling horrible because I'm just bowling gutter ball after gutter ball, going into the bathroom, kind of sitting on the toilet to be by myself for a while, coming back out. It's a hot one, and I can't help but uh, feel a little bit better about my shitty 10-year-old life. Great, so let's move on. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> uh, lead single off the album, twelve. Yeah, as I said, twelve weeks at number one. Um, interesting backstory with this one, and a fa- I, there's an amazing quote from Santana about this this song that I think is revelatory in a certain way from this same Rolling Stone profile about Santana that came out uh, just after Supernatural. 
Santana says, when people hear smooth, it's boogie. It's an invitation to have a good time. Like little Richard used to say, it's Friday night. I got a little bit of money. I did my homework and it's okay to rub closely with Sally or Sue. She gave me that look like it's okay. Okay. Mm. I brushed my teeth. I got deodorant. I got her going. It's cool. Certain songs, smooth, Oyakamova, Guantanamera, La Bamba. The Macarena, Macarena, Louie Louie. Wow, it's quite that's a lineage. What these, that's yeah. what these songs are for, which is fascinating because that, to me, ties into this, you know, the Bamba and uh, the Macarena ties into an ongoing tradition of, of sort of Latin uh, music in American popular culture, which up until the 90s, I think when like Gloria Stefan and Selena and people like that started to seep into American radio uh, uh, so much of it was um dance crazes you know salsa rumba etc novelty songs sometimes there's also something really sweet and endearing to me about his like comparison to little richard yes um it seems like he really seems to have this deep feeling that like what he's doing arrive like is really still coming out of the lineage of the artists who maybe he like looked up to when he was really young, or maybe some of whom were even his peers. Like he also sort of has compared smooth to um, miles Davis playing (laughs) Cindy Lauper's time after time as like kind of one of his signature songs at the end of his life, which we talked about in an episode last season and also John Coltrane playing my favorite things. Like, I, I I kind of love that Santana sort of sees smooth in that lineage, but I also kind of get the feeling that it's like him trying to convince himself that he's not like selling out or like shitting on his legacy by doing this, by being like, right. hey, look, Miles did this kind of thing. You know, Little Richard did this kind of thing. But yeah. it's, there's something kind of sad and sweet about it. At the time, he did not like it and he didn't want to record it. And his reasoning was that it sounded like another one of his songs, Guajira. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thought that it was like repeating himself and that it was too easy. And right. the thing he said was like, I'll only do it if Clive Davis personally says to me, this song will be a hit, you should do it. Which Clive Davis did say, and which it was. It, it was also a last ditch thing. It was like the record is pretty much done and they felt like they needed another single. And they... And this is interesting. It's interesting to think about about you know artists in this time being kind of uh, conscripted as songwriters for other artists. It didn't. It wouldn't seem like Rob Thomas would be someone they would get to do this. But Rob Thomas was at the time writing songs to sell to other artists, basically. And oh, he really? Had written, he had written this song and made a demo of it, and it was supposed to be sung by somebody more famous. And. Uh, Santana heard the demo and was like, all right, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to use him. We're going to use Rob Thomas. He liked the, the vocal take. Yeah, I read that Rob Thomas wanted like Bon Jovi to do it, which I could totally hear. Yeah, but, you know, Rob got lucky and they put that little uh, phone voice effect on him and he sounds splendid. You know? What do you guys think the of phone the phone voice? It's, uh, it makes me think of cake. My Spanish Harlem yes. And then it comes in full. Yeah. 
it, it feels like a man like having phone sex, you know. That's sultry. the implication. Like it's a lonely man having sultry phone sex, and then the chorus is kind of him just. He's alone. Do you know? He's a man who's alone at this point. Yeah. Well, I read in the Rolling Stone oral history of the song, which is really fascinating, the instructions that were given to Rob Thomas were, I think you should come up with a lyric that isn't about Carlos, but it should describe what Carlos is, which is what led him to the word smooth and just like the ocean under the moon. But then there's a quote from Rob Thomas. Weird, weird, weird. Right. But then what comes in is Rob Thomas is like, I also realized somewhere in the middle of it that I had this wealth of information because I had this smoking hot Latin girlfriend already. So (laughs) (laughs) it's another moment where you get like someone trying to like pay homage to Carlos Santana, who they're working with. And ostensibly like this is like a huge honor for them. But then he's also like, well, I also want to write about my girlfriend. And that's kind of what sells it. And I feel like there's there's also that there's like a different kind of duality to Santana's presence where I feel like he's kind of trying to think of himself as this kind of like deep musician in the lineage of Coltrane while also trying to make like huge hits. So I feel like everyone has this kind of like bifurcated idea of what it is that they're yeah. there to do. And meanwhile, all these like younger guys are around him telling him how sexy he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like smooth really is a song about like, oh my God, Carlos Santana is so <laughs> hot. <laughs> I don't disagree. I mean, so one thing I was thinking with this song is it like, we can't talk about it without addressing that it became like a meme yeah you know i think at some point this song crossed over into ironic territory where for sure it went from being the biggest thing in the world to being like everyone's sick of it to being like no one ever talks about it to being like remember this it was crazy and so funny yeah and a lot of that is around man it's a hot one as an opening lyric i think yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my friend Samer and his girlfriend went as this song for Halloween a couple years ago, <laughs> where uh, one was Rob Thomas and the other was Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Just to speak, like, speak to the meme status. One thing I thought about was interesting about its super success at this time. 1999 was peak latin explosion which is funny to me because this album doesn't actually have any of the latin stars of the time it doesn't have like yeah that's ricky martin or uh mark antony or uh enrique iglesias but they all were like super hit makers at this time this was like living la vida loca period and uh you know and j-lo if you had my love stuff like that gloria stefan was working with nsync you know that sound was everywhere. So that was another way that this record played into the zeitgeist. Um, although it was more respectable in a, in, in a certain way, which is why I think it won like eight Grammys, like record of the year. And, you know, it was, it just had something for everyone. Um, and smooth very much fits into the vibe of those, of those hits. Although yeah. I obviously think it has this, it, one thing that smooth has that other songs in the record don't have as much as like an actual feeling of a live band play there is like a certain heat to the playing that i feel like is absent from a lot of the other songs Agreed. um and that and i think like some of those latin hits have a little bit more of that but anyway the point is that i thought it was interesting 
that none of there weren't any actual Spanish language hits until Gasolina until the mid 2000s and then the real peak of the Latin invasion in terms of Spanish language music was 2017 yeah all those hits had Spanish phrases in them but they were essentially Americanized Spanish song I mean and so smooth kind of fits into that same thing with like toying and almost in in smooth's case in a nonsense way like that El Barrio lyric with the kind yeah. of with kind of Spanish stuff and you know like bailamos like bailamos let the rhythm take you over living la vida look you know it doesn't it's this hybrid stuff yeah which is sort of like santana has always done you know exactly like he's he's from you know he's from mexico so like it's not as though he's doing any sort of cultural appropriating but like his guitar playing is often sort of like blues rock guitar playing you know he talks about his heroes of guitar and they're like peter green and stuff but then it's just like, and then we'll put a kind of clave rhythm behind it. And then all of a sudden it has this kind of like Latin flavor. But as a guitarist, yeah. a lot of times he's like a pretty traditional American sounding blues yeah. rock guitar player. Right. Totally. He has that appeal. I just want to quickly credit a fan, a, fr- a friend of the podcast. I know a listener of the podcast and uh, a great writer, Andrew Unterberger, who did a really great piece for Billboard talking about the history of latin pop specifically leading up to 2017 and despacito as being like the crowning achievement of latin pop in america as an as the first spanish language number one hit so shout out to andrew but anyway smooth slots into that whole thing you know and i think that's not tied to why it kind of towered above something like put your lights on or something like not towered that was also a big hit but why it was such a huge hit um was it the most latin pop thing on here i think yeah this is and obviously also, not and also say what you will about smooth but a much better song than put your lights yeah, on which is I, like uh, put your right. lights on is uh, this is horrible to me yeah just awful <laughs> I, music you know what you know what i take this over maria maria i'm sorry wow. whoa Strong disagree. Maybe because I just think Everlast is kind of funny, or I liked him when I was in middle school. What did you like about him? Did you think he was cool? Uh, it was kind of like when I was like into like when I could have put on Stained. It's been a while and been like, all right, cool. Or like Bush Glycerin, like this kind of down tempo, new metally thing. Um, I thought he was a troubled guy and he had stories to tell. And this is about a. He had a heart attack, I guess, before writing the song. I mean, it's, a, it's an intense song. And I think it's the only song that is written entirely by the artist who... Yeah, it sounds like an Everlast song. Yeah. It, it just is an Everlast song. Which is I'm trying sort of... to access some of the intensity in here, and I'm not hearing it. <laughs> well, read the lyrics, Sam, okay? Sometimes the music kind of provides a... Doesn't exactly have to go straight with the lyrics. Doesn't have to go right. hard like that. I never really thought about that. That's an interesting <laughs> thing to ponder. A sort of amazing thing about this album to me, which is really embodied by this song, which is just very clearly an Everlast song with some kind of like Santana noodling on it. When you sit, like if if you like think about like what does what is Santana actually doing on this album <laughs> besides sort of providing the like kind of gravitas of it being a Santana album, you know, like he's playing a little lead guitar on some of the songs. 
I mean, on all the songs, I guess. But, like, that's kind of it. Like, he's not the songwriter of anything except for, I guess he has a co-write on the Dave Matthews Band song. Like, he doesn't sing. Well, the the instrumental ones, yeah. Yeah, but in terms of the, the material on this record that people know. Right. You know, like, it could have very easily happened without Santana's involvement and probably not been as famous. But it's like his presence is sort of more important to the music than his actual musical contributions are. I mean, that's just such an iconic guitar sound, though. Yeah. Yeah. Which Sweeney, I thought this was a hilarious comparison, uh, compares it to Robert Fripp's guitar tone, <laughs> which is like similar, not yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a uh, it's very unexpected angle. Let's get into a little bit more of our interview with Matt Sweeney. He wants you to feel good. Yeah. Sex. Sex and food, yeah. Tons of tons of food metaphors in uh, for for when he's talking about music. Tons, okay. you know, and tons of talking to women metaphors, um, which I'm all for. I, I, I think I, I've I think that like being seductive is a really, and I'm not trying to be gross. It's not like oh, I start playing bands so I get some pussy. Yeah, it's it's just that it's just. Being seductive is like a, is kind of it's a big part of the job if you are trying to uh, play play some songs for people. Totally, you know what I mean. If, if, if you're if, if you're try, and particularly if you're trying to write some music for people, you know, uh, and you know he's fucking really good at it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like he's really good, and and, and and so it all comes. And and again, we're talking about a guy who doesn't fucking sing, who doesn't really write songs. You know, what I mean? like right. how did this guy get there? And again, I found today, it's like, you know what? Like, he's a fucking, his soloing is really fun to listen to. It's this, it's it's a totally street level mix of, of like, you know, gr- grief and joy, sadness and joy, you know, in, in a way that like, it sounds that way when you hear it, you know what I mean? Like, it's reaching, it's virtuosic just enough, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, but you can, it's, you know, it's it's just like, the way he plays is, I take technically, you know, it's like very good plus or something like that, you know, for just some of the technical stuff. But it, it fucking lands really, really, really well. You know, <laughs> like, like that's what I found with the record. I was like, and, and I was reminded when I heard the Maria Maria song, I was like, yeah, that that, that lick is sick. Yeah. Which, it's totally sick. And then it sort of had its whole second life in this Rihanna song a couple of years ago that, that sampled it. Oh, I didn't it. know that. Yeah, yeah. There was oh, yeah. a huge Rihanna hit that was like... Uh-huh. Uh-huh called Wild Thoughts when that was like very sure much based on it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's so sick, you know? And, and like, and also interestingly, there's such cool music on this album. The, the first track fucking smokes. Yeah, totally. It smokes, yeah. you know? Like, like, like and, and that, that, that business at the end with with the guitar playing with the band, there's this kind of call and response action with the band. It's really thrilling and it's really fun. And it's fucking like, yo, that's how a first track of a record where you're like, I'm, I'm sure. Carlos Santana, damn it. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, halfway and through that tune, there's like this synth pad that comes in sort of completely out of nowhere. It's like, this kind of shouldn't work, but it sounds and fucking totally amazing. Works. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like, uh, and, uh, um, and again, about the virtuosic, and I, and all this stuff. This also occurred to me when I was talking to him. He's so fucking cool because he's not virtuosic, you know. And 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 that's what's awesome about it, you know. Like like, and even if you're like, 
they kind of sell him as the virtuoso. That's part of the deal. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? But it's like, it's like he's totally like reaching, you know, and 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 he sounds like he's reaching, right? You know, all of his stuff, all of his things have this reaching thing, and and like that's a that's a cool sound. That's a sound that people relate to. You know what I mean? And uh, as opposed to like. It's very different than Eddie Van Halen, who I love, you know what I mean? But Eddie Van Halen is like, this is a fucking joyful, this is a pure joyride. This is a total flashy joyride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, 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 like with a few other emotions, but it's mostly like, fucking A, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. it's holy shit. And, 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 yeah, it's holy shit, you know, it's fireworks and stuff. Santana's, it's so not that, you know, like, like, like yeah. Santana's not, is not trying to stick it to you. Not that Eddie Van Halen's trying to stick it to you to show that he's the best. He's just, he just is. And right. it's like, I am the best and it's fucking fun to watch. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I worked really hard at this. I worked my ass off of this thing. Check it out. You know, yeah. like, uh, that's, that's Eddie. But, but like, or, you know, with Santana, it's not that at all. It's really not, you know, it's, it's not like I'm a great guitar player. You could never be as good as me. I'm going to fucking melt. It's not even trying to melt your face so much. It's like when it gets to those real peaks, it's really more about like, you're, you're like this, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you're, I'm putting my arms in, my, in the air. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, like, it's like, a, uh, like, the sort of holding on to the guitar for dear life thing from the Woodstock story. You can totally. sort of hear that in the music, you know, all the totally, time. Totally, man. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's fine. And, and like, you know, the guy, it's interesting. His tone, and by tone, I mean like what his guitar sounds like when he holds a note. Yeah. Because that's just what I'm going to call tone. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, it's, it's similar to Robert Fripp, I thought. Uh, oh, yeah. Actually. That like sort of liquidy <laughs> yeah. smoothness. It's liquidy smooth, but then it's like a square wave that's about to break up. You know what I mean? Like, and it's and it's that mix, and it's a total mixture of that. It's 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 taking a thing that's about to break and turning it smooth. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's a really sweet. And that's a, again, that's an emotionally resonant sound that that like you kind of you just feel it. You know, and and like I'm I'm just so pleased that the record's that good because it's like it's obviously we're not on here to like talk about things that are cheesy or talk about how like musicianship is corny or whatever. That, 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 that's not why we're here. I just like that. It, I, it, it doesn't even really seem to be much of a factor. <laughs> it wasn't, I didn't even have to think about it when I listened to this record, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. it was just like, this is, this is really extremely well-played Latin influenced rock with like th- that, that they thought about every move, considered it, Knew uh, knew that the listener was going to be following this guitar player's line. You yeah. know what I mean? Like 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 on, on every song, which is an interesting point. You know, you know, like that, that's that's a interesting challenge, I suppose, for a record. Yeah. But then my girlfriend pointed out uh, was was also that it was how much Clive Davis had to do with the record. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, and again, I don't know where the I'm. I'm choosing to speak about like what I think about this music and stuff but if you want to start to dig into the record it's pretty interesting because you know like what did they spend like two years on that record something like Um, that yeah and you know and it was it was a businessman Clive Davis who's a song dude you know uh, who's a guy who's always been about songs you kind of really can't shit on Clive Davis on any level He's, he's pretty incredible what what he's done and what he's done was always about songs this is the same guy who you know discovered Barry Manilow, you know, and was like, you're a great songwriter and like, don't worry about being a star. You just write your songs, yeah. you know, and then he, and then he writes the song. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, but you know, he, his career has always been like sort of about individuals and, and playing to their strengths and like, and that it takes a song and like, it's a really measure by, by that metric. He fucking killed on that. Right. You know, he did a great job with the record and he was able to, you know, like 
he was able to also Clive Davis is famous for knowing what a hit is yeah. you know and and like certainly that fucking Rob Thomas song is a hit and like again I listen to it, it le- the, the lyrics leave me utterly cold his voice makes me want to kill myself <laughs> but it, you know it's but, but it's 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 interesting it's interesting with the Rob Thomas thing his whole trick is just over enunciation that's all he does. Yeah, it's all meow. Um, but and Carlos even talked this <laughs> in the thing. He goes, you know, and then supernatural happens. I'm Rob Thomas. I didn't know. I didn't really know much about him. I met him, and he. Uh, I think we wrote that in 15 minutes. <laughs> and and <laughs> and like all of his big hits, which mean a lot to him. He's like. He makes a point of saying that it wasn't hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and that it was about getting in a room with somebody, you know, and and uh, and it felt really good, and then we did it, you know, <laughs> like th- that. Also, that's kind of hard. I was, it was so cool yeah, to hear nice. him say that. It was like, yeah, it took fifteen minutes. Yeah, and, and he goes, and he goes, and he goes. I think it's one of the most successful songs of all time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so cool. It sounds insanely fun hanging out with uh, Carlos. And uh, it's amazing how much Sweeney loves this record. Yeah, let's get into really quickly what happened after Supernatural because there's an interesting extension of the vibe. Well, what happened? It was a huge album. It did everything it was supposed to. Sold over 30 million copies. Went 15 times platinum. Smooth was number one forever. Uh, the album won everything at the Grammys. This huge blockbuster. Next, Santana tried to double down, do the same thing again, and wasn't quite as successful. A little record called Shaman from 2005. Uh, I know the Michelle Branch song, Game of Love, but yeah. I that wasn't was like familiar a, with anything else. That's that was all a I top ten hit. Which I would contend, I'm just spitballing here, but I think it's probably true. Game of Love, the big hit from Shaman, I think is the best of the Santana comeback hit singles. I'm I'm with you. I I really I actually really like the song. Yeah, it's a great song. Great song. And we're in agreement. It went it went so well, I guess, that uh, she came back for the following 2005 album, the name of which I forget, which is essentially the same formula, but didn't do well. Just went gold. I mean, it was didn't didn't last. But she's on that one as well. I guess Shaman is notable in that he went a little bit more hard rock. Like 1999, the new metal thing was not really was just in the beginning stages. By 2002, he's got another single, which I don't really remember hearing that much, but there, another like decently big single was with Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Uh, we could listen to a little bit of that, maybe. I said uh, Shaman was from 05. Shaman was from 2002. 2002, okay, so yeah. I, the other one is uh, uh, All That I Am. Um, <laughs> it's really funny, because this really is sort of more Latin. But as this new metal singer, but there is a really hard like new metal track on here. Sort of a transparent attempt to like have smooth happen again. Yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, the the one that's that's markedly like the band creating the kind of the the landscape is the POD song America. 
which I do have for some reason have a memory of hearing. This is America. Oh, I sort of remember that ad lib. Oh yeah. The, they're all, you know, of course, of Latin lineage people. And also share uh, Santana's deep uh, spiritual commitments. Right, right. Religious. I mean, you got nothing like this on Supernatural. Yeah. This no. this is a low point for Carlos Santana. <laughs> I'll agree, yeah. Yeah. I think you got hard rock on subsequent albums after this. Um, because, you know, after, after the... The, the 2005 one didn't do well. He kind of took a break, and then his next album was the amazingly titled "A Guitar Heaven." Wait, and then there's a colon and a, and a sort of like subtitle after the title that's also very good. <laughs> the greatest guitar classics of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is so good. So fucking sick. Another afterlife is um, uh, Rob Thomas, who tries to continue the success of revitalizing older artists careers uh none of them are very successful uh he writes a few songs on willie nelson's the great divide wow including uh one that's called maria shut up and kiss me which just always sticks in my head it's Um, kind of a good title yeah and then he writes at least one song on mick jagger's solo album goddess in the doorway wow which i always thought would be a good one to talk about on this because it's like sort of trying to do Santana Supernatural for Mick Jagger. Like Lenny yeah. Kravitz is on it. Uh, I think there's a few other people. But yeah, that's not a huge success either. And so Rob Thomas kind of goes back to Matchbox 20 and solo albums, etc. Guitar Heaven has a ton of guests on it doing classic rock covers, including the return of Rob Thomas and some really weird shit like Nas featured on a cover of Back to Black. Chester Bennington and with Ray Manzarek on Riders on the Storm. Wow. Uh, you would think that uh, that, that uh, Stapp would be involved in that somehow. Uh, given- Let me just check. Deluxe Edition has Fortunate Son sung by Scott Stapp. Oh, there you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was just uh, thinking about, I was thinking about the Woodstock 99 performance where uh, Creed, they sort of do like a, a Doors homage. Oh my god, the dude from Papa Roach is on here doing smoke on the water. Ah! Wow. This is so I mean, good. We should have done is, it on this one. We, yeah, this would be a good uh, episode. L- last one, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps featuring India Ari, and you guessed it, folks, Yo-Yo Ma. That's what you no. want. Uh, <laughs> while I, My Cello Gently Weeps. Yeah, they resisted the temptation to title the track While My Cello Gently Weeps. Yeah. Anyway... Then he goes back to instrumental rock. He Later, I think he reunites the original lineup of Santana for Santana 4. That's the last album. You know, because at that point, well, he doesn't. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's had all these albums. that All of those albums, with the exception, I think, of Guitar Heaven, charted in the like top 10, even if they fell off. Yeah, and Supernatural after. is like, you know, that's yeah. all that's all he would have ever had to do to be a very very rich man. And he's got a super successful line of like loafers. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a shoe guy. Well, that's and, cool. So uh, I think he makes a lot of money from the shoes. Amazing. Well, this is a long one cuz there's so much to get through and this is such a hugely important later album, but it might be time for us to move to our final segment. 
Yeah, so our final segment of the show is called Fantasies and Delusions. If you are a listener since last season, you know all about this. It's based on uh, Billy Joel's final studio album to date, a uh, collection of quote-unquote classical piano compositions uh, that we uh, examined at length as our the previous album, the previous episode of the show, our season finale of season one. Essentially, uh, we judge every album we talk about by the simple metric of is it a fantasy or is it a delusion? Uh, do we like it or don't we? Uh, anybody want to go first? I'll kick this off. Um, well, I did a lot of thinking about this because mostly because of like the jokey status that Smooth has taken and like uh, culture. I felt I had a hard time listening to it with fresh ears, both because it was such a huge hit and because I'm sick of the jokes about it. Because it's like, while we do, I mean, we like talk about a lot of ridiculous stuff on this podcast, but I don't like coming to things ironically or right. like predisposed to laugh at it or make fun of it. I always want to give something a fresh shot. And I was trying to think about like why this song in particular has kind of achieved that status. In some ways, I think there's like this pre-9-11 pop cultural moment that is really fervent for people to reflect on and laugh about. And that's like, I would put the song in a category with like Shrek mm-hmm. and like SpongeBob and all these like late 90s, early 2000 things <laughs> that feel kind of like absurd and utopian and almost like impossibly like upbeat and yeah. like earnest Rat race, um, all star. Sure, it's a good example. Sort of uh, hard. It's, comparing it to Shrek is really brilliant. It's hard to articulate. Amazing. It's hard to articulate why, but you really hit the nail on the head. Oh yeah. well, thanks. But yeah, so to me, it definitely does feel like something from that era, and I also think, like in the context of Santana's career, there is kind of something beautiful about him being proven right. Like, how unlikely was it? that he had a hit album in the late 90s. Yeah. And, like, this album could have been the most embarrassing thing. And it, at times, it almost is, but it's like, he won. Like, his angels really did guide him. And yeah. so for that reason, I'm going to say this is a fantasy. Wow. It, it worked. It happened. Okay. It is hard for me to divorce this from my saturation in it as a child like having just sort of been able to move from kind of a strict diet of pbs restricted television watching by my parents to um getting to the simpsons and then eventually being into vh1 and mtv and one of the first rock albums i got was um the matchbox 20 album the name of which i can't remember with the guy with the flight cap on his head the, yourself or someone like you yeah the one that had all the hits on it and i loved that at the time i remember i got a cassette of it that had the swears had been dubbed over by my aunt so it was just blank just periods of complete blankness wow. which was pretty cool and then i eventually acquired the cd and it was like a revelation anyway i remember thinking when rob thomas did the song that it was somewhat of a sellout move and that i wanted the darkness of 3 a.m or push or whatever you know <laughs> the and, darkness uh, as a darkness there's a darkness to those songs and you know i, I missed he it he must I, be lonely i don't want him to do i don't want him to you know silly be little richard you know um so i, I i've always 
kind of had this in my head as as sort of an annoying song. It is a great pop record in hindsight, and I've for some reason I like the Dave Matthews song, and for some reason because I'm nostalgic for. Is why you like it. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. Okay. Right. <laughs> However, I, I found I I I you know I put this album on repeat for the past several days, and I could never just sit down and focus on it. To me, the main yeah, thing that very true. Was, was that it it spoke to this kind of easy listening thing. The in- instrumental tracks reminded me of being in coffee shops as a kid with my mom and stuff like that, or being in uh, the mall and not even really listening to Supernatural, but just listening to lat- like sterilely recorded Latin music like that. There was all this music at that time. There was Celtic music. Gregorian chant. <laughs> well, there's Gregorian chant, yeah. Pure moods. I, I'm like trained to turn my brain off to the instrumental sound, the sound of the instrumental tracks in this record. And, uh, I have to say it was a fantasy in terms of commercial success and Clive Davis is like a fucking genius for like basically tapping into elements of kind of all of pop music history, which I didn't even get into my theories about that totally, but he's just an old school record guy who knew this was going to work from the beginning and it sounds so unlikely to us now, but he was completely right. And so in some sense, like, how could I not call it a fantasy? It's the definition of an inspired idea for a project, although in some sense cynical. In terms of listening to it, it is a delusion for me. I do not enjoy listening to it. Very fair measured take. It's sort of, it's sort of, I've been like, I wanted you to go first because it's sort of impossible to formulate an opinion on this album for me. It's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It's a real challenge. Uh, It's a toss up, honestly. It is a toss up. I mean, I, I'm going to just sort of talk through my thoughts, I guess, which for me, I like, to me, Maria Maria is sort of one of the iconic singles of like, you know, late elementary school, early middle school for me. Uh, I, I, I love the fact that it had this kind of like second life uh, as a Rihanna song more recently. I like that um, song. As for, uh, you know, the Santana band songs, um, I think there's, you know, there's some pretty hot guitar playing uh, on those songs to me, and I'm a sucker for hot guitar playing. Uh, that makes them fun to listen to but not in a way where i'm like hey everyone has to check this out but more just like i am not upset that this is on the collaborations other than the dave matthews one which i do think is pretty good and maria maria leave me cold like smooth i respect your guys uh attempts to sort of hear it for what it is but it's it's kind of impossible for me to divorce from the cultural baggage around it i'm trying to follow my gut on the question of is this an album that I would put on again after this for the purpose of just personal enjoyment and listen to it all the way through? And I think the answer is no. Um, uh, so I'm going to call it a delusion, even though it's one of those delusions where it's like, I'm very glad that it exists in the world, but I couldn't in good consciousness go out and tell a friend, yo, you got to fucking listen to Supernatural because it's good. <laughs> Make no mistake. That's not what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> no, I, I know. I'm, I would point yeah. them to, sh- to Shaman before Supernatural. 
because yeah. that's that's a pretty fast that's a more fascinating listen that that keeps me in that keeps me in yeah i would also wholeheartedly recommend some of those lesser known kind of mid-70s santana albums oh for uh, sure those are awesome actually yeah those know. those are sick uh so if you are looking to doubt to dive into some santana music that you might not know i would say just forget about this and 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 check out some of that you know from the sweeney interview i think we can divine pretty uh, clearly that it's a fantasy for him yeah it's fun to hear, to hear that record because also it's like whatever kind of studio fuckery was going on it sounds a little bit more organic I, I i found myself wondering like like it's like well they probably could have made this record a lot quicker now than the, than in 1999 yeah you know what i mean like like and they could have had everybody phoning in the vocals and totally you know uh and they could have written everything remotely and they probably would have you know what i mean yeah and and uh and it it did bounce back to the fact that now, of course, if I made a billion dollars, I'd probably be talking about this record a lot too. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like, but Carlos does talk about the record quite a bit, and he 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 kept on talking about just the the meeting meeting with the people and getting in the room yeah. with the songwriters and how they how they had something very quickly and how you know, but but just just this idea, his idea of connection, you know, like like. Uh, and you know, and I think that's also like why the the record works too, is because really every single moment of the record, there's a musician who's making a decision based on what another musician is doing. You know what I mean? And that's a, and and it's yeah. got a nice feel. You know, it's just got a nice. You know, God, I'm so old. I say things are nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, <laughs> but, you though. Know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's like it's it's it sounds good to listen to. It just kind of feels good to listen to, and and like. It was so. It was such a well done thing. Where obviously parents are going to like it, but also kids like it. Yeah. You know, like like that. I mean, I think at the time, it was kind of state of the art pop. You know, I'd, I, I, as, as far as the choices of singers and you know, like yeah. like. Uh, For sure. Um, but it was probably a good book about it. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that would be a good thirty third of the third. Oh book. yeah, that would be amazing. Third book. Yeah. Right. People would be so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Sweeney fucking loves this album. And, you know, I love the fact that he loves it so much. And uh, that also was almost enough to uh, to to tip me over toward fantasy. Well, in some sense, it's a split and a hung jury here, you know. Mm. Um, And we'd be interested to hear from listeners about their feelings about it. And to hear even more great stories from Andy's interview with Matt Sweeney about meeting Santana, getting turned on to his music by the guys from Ween, and a lot more great stories and great insight, check out Andy's full interview with him, which we'll be posting separately this coming Thursday. So yeah, this is an epic episode, but um, thanks for sticking with us. The album merits... I think this level of analysis next week we'll be discussing Pete Townsend's when I was a goofball, which (laughs) will feature his interpretations of the classic Monty Python bits and sketches from his iconic childhood. Wow. Yeah. That's a classic. Thank God. Okay, folks, this has been later. Thanks for being with us. Bam. Later is hosted and produced by Winston Cook Wilson, Andy Cush, and Sam Sadomsky. It is edited by Winston Cook Wilson and mixed and mastered by Ian Wayne. The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brinkman and RJB. 
Logo designed by Lisby Art and Design. Blade Era is a part of Osiris Media.